0: Warning, Star Trek from the holodeck contains adult language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do
1: not continue to listen. Lock it alone! Fire! Holodeck 3 program is reinstated. Open sesame! Commander Klingon vessel, we are energizing transporter beam, now. Welcome, everyone, to Star Trek from the Holodeck. This is the Lower Decks Edition, and I am your host, Michael Flores, and captain of the USS Rainman Digital. If you're new to our show, we cover a wide variety of Star Trek content, and you can find our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Just search from the Holodeck. Our preferred podcast provider is iTunes, and we'd love for you to give us a five-star rating and drop a review. It does help our show more than you know. And also, if you're watching us on YouTube, click that subscribe button, like, and share. That will also help trigger those algorithms and justify why we do these shows each and every single week. In the studio today with me, and I wouldn't have it any other way, is Ensign David Sabal. Hello.
0: Hello, dude, this,
1: this series just continues to make me smile. I, I swear to God, this episode was so goddamn funny. You know, the best thing about this show, more than anything, I know we, we continue to oogle and ah over all the Star Trek references, but it's just an easy watch. It's, it's an easy watch. It's something fun. How often do we get to just kind of kick back and not overthink something? Sure, we are always going to overthink things. That's what we do best on these shows and sometimes overanalyze. But I enjoy just click and play. Hey, new episode pops up, you know, with the little app notification. New episode of Lower Decks is now available to watch. And I get happy because I can just watch something that's just enjoyable. It's not, you know, I don't have to be overly critical. You
0: don't. And the thing is, is like every single episode in this season has its own take on humor. Like you have like the, the... I don't know what it is. It's like the, every single episode I've seen in this past season, it's a different ver- type of comedy that Mike McMahon has tried to do. Yeah. In this particular episode, he went twisted with some yeah. of the jokes, dude. Yeah.
1: He's he's definitely <laughs> delving into some of that grimy, crude Rick and Morty sense of humor.
0: This was more like Rick and Morty. I mean, you had messed
1: the, up humor. The, what the Magado threesome essentially? <laughs> no, the yes. Magado cuckold. I the mean, what
0: Fuck. And then no, and then when the and starts rubbing them, his horn. Oh. When when Mariner starts eating shacks, I was like, okay, he went to a little too far. Yeah. But that was the thing. Dude. This episode compared to the last episode, yeah. the humor is completely different.
1: Well, there have been some complaints. You yes. know, some of the more conservative Star Trek fans <laughs> they were upset with the cuckold scene. But listen, have a sense of humor. have a sense of humor
0: it's a It's a funny show,
1: yeah, <laughs> one guy said the funniest thing about the show is the show run- the showrunners think it's Canon. yes, I've I heard, heard that. that a douche. I'm like, listen, dude, like, if you don't like the show, fine, but guess what? it is Canon. You don't decide whether it's canon or not, you got- unfortunately. CBS is the lords over what is canon and what is not. And they have said, this is canon. So guess what? Magados like to <laughs> like um, to pleasure um, themselves. Yeah. They like to cuckold each other. <laughs> that was so messed it, up. It was slightly disturbing. I will say I am, I'm not conservative by any means uh, in, in the ways of entertainment, but I am conservative with what I let my son watch. And I, I'm glad he didn't watch this episode with me because I I don't want to have to explain to him. (laughs) What are they doing? Yeah. Well, you know, sometimes guys, certain individuals get off watching someone fuck someone else. But
0: dude, dude, how many times it's, it's funny too, because like a lot of Star Trek fans think that, Oh, this is stepping the boundaries, but I'm sorry. In TNG, they did the same thing. Yeah. Come on. You know, when they started showing, Klingon mating rituals with Worf and his
1: wife. Yeah, that was messed up. Messed up or awesomely hot. (laughs) I'll leave that to the listeners to decide for themselves. But also, come on, very first season, the opening, what, three episodes, Tasha Yar is boning an android. Boning an android. Let's not pretend Star Trek's ever been conservative. It's actually been very liberal. Classically liberal, I guess you could say. I mean, come
0: on, in the original series, Kirk bangs a green wet <laughs> alien every
1: time. Star Trek: The Original Series is literally a product of the peace and love era.
0: Yeah, and oh. they're they're not afraid of bringing
1: in sexual ideas into Star Trek. I think we need to remind people of things sometimes. Some of the naysayers out there, because didn't you know Kirk make out with a shapeshifter, and then no, 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 yeah, he yeah, made yeah, out. He made out, made out with a shapeshifter, shapeshifter, which is fine. But then he also fought a creature at rural Pente, where his genitals is apparently where his His knees are at. Yeah, Yeah. where where his knees were.
0: Yeah, (laughs) this is nothing new. This is nothing new, and and the problem is, is kind of like I think Star Trek fans don't. Well, they'll let it go. go over their heads because it's introduced to them subtly. Mike McMahon
1: his type of writing he's like no I'm not going to be subtle. This is going to be like right in your face. Yeah it's funny and it works for the purposes of this show. So let's get into it. We are discussing obviously episode four of season two titled Magado Gamado and here we are with another episode of Lower Decks that is chock filled with references having Mariner Rutherford and Boimler engage in a match of Anbo Jujutsu? Am I saying that correct? Doesn't really matter because isn't it wasn't even a joke this week in Star Trek that all these words are always mispronounced and we say them different ways. I mean, I love that. That poking fun. Kind of like a poke in the ribs when it comes to the pronunciation of Megado. Yes. Because this has actually been an ongoing gag for many years. Oh, for a know, long time. And Lower Decks as writers they have done this since season one where they make fun of of the contradictory ways Trek characters throughout the years pronounce certain words.
0: The inside jokes. Because they understand the inside jokes of the fandom.
1: I mean, we I think we discussed this last season as well during the Lower Decks discussion. Yes, we did. Sensors. 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 And that's just one of probably hundreds of words, whether it be alien species, planets, names of locations. Where one character pronounced it this way. This way. And another pronounces it another way. It's been part of Star Trek for so long, and whether or not it's purposely done for just kind of a wink winks joke or not, the fact that Lower Decks has picked up on has picked up on it is freaking amazing. And I fucking giggled when they had that entire bit about Magado Gamato. So <laughs> overall this episode was relatively simple. It's probably more the I'd say the more I'd say the most simple of episodes to date so far, uh, at least this season, Rutherford and Boilmer throughout gossip, you know, through gossip, I should say are duped into thinking Mariners special ops. (laughs) Yes. How did they not mention section 31? Is it because McMahon is possibly actually trying to, that they are a secret and people shouldn't know about them? Maybe, yeah, because like, the thing is because also... Isn't that like an ongoing joke that Section 31 is the greatest secret that is the everyone greatest knows that about?
0: Everyone knows about, <laughs> exactly. And like, I think it's pretty smart that they don't actually bring in Section 31 because Section 31 suddenly takes your storytelling to a, a different level. You know, it, it. you can't make jokes about Section 31. You could... I think Mike McMahon at this point could, but like in another person's hands, no way because section 31 is so, is so engrossed in the star Trek lore as like, Oh, this is serious noir storytelling. You know, we talk about the the evil side of the Federation, so to speak. And it'd be really interesting if Mike McMahon took the challenge and said, okay, yeah, we'll make fun of <laughs> Section 31 and see what happens.
1: Yeah, I think they can definitely pull it off. It's not necessarily... It's not as taboo as it was within Star Trek circles. Although, dude... In years past. It made so much sense,
0: though. When Mariner basically tells him, she just likes the mystique. And I'm like, going, that is her character. That's her character. And it's really cool, too, story-wise, because we got to remember that this whole season is about the crew getting to know each other finally completely. And you know, like we in the last episode, Tendy and Mariner ended up getting closer because they realized they don't really know each other that well.
1: It, it does seem like they're doing that, huh?
0: And they do it in this one with
1: Boimler and yeah. Rutherford doing it to Mariner. I was thinking the same thing. It does seem like an actual effort on the writer's part to bring more members of the crew together in this show. Yes. Last season did that. They definitely had a focus on some of the background characters, but for the most part, it was just the four characters, Mariner, Tendy, Rutherford, Boimler. And then the, the four of them were paired off. Yes. And dude, and now they're, they're definitely working to bring them all a little closer along with other characters as well. That are ongoing. Do you think
0: i wanted to mention this to you in the last episode do you think this is kind of like a, another jab from Mike McMahon to the other writers and all the other Star Trek shows that basically he says, look, I can actually introduce my crew and get them to know each other right away. Meanwhile, it took you an episode and it took an actor
1: looking at them going, give me your names. Who's who's your name? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's only so many times he could take jabs at his bosses before he gets fired. So, <laughs> but here's the thing. And honestly, going back to that discussion last week, I stand by what I said. I don't feel like it was malicious. I feel like he was just having fun. He he makes fun of everything. Oh yeah. No, nothing is safe. Nothing when is it sacred. comes to Mike McMahon. He has made fun of TOS. He's made fun of D space nine. He's made fun of TNG. He's made fun of the mini star Trek tropes that we've all gotten used to throughout the years. And now he put his sights on, The new era the Kurtzman eras. I mean that's just what he was doing so I don't feel like he was being malicious I just feel like he was having fun and not putting anyone not putting anyone on a pedestal I guess you could say so I don't think we're gonna see a lot of that necessarily however we are definitely going to get bits of that throughout because why would he leave them off why are they off limits why would Kurtzman era be off limits when it comes to jokes that would be ridiculous So I think ultimately the episode worked for me by pairing up our characters and having Rutherford and Boymer think that Mariner was special ops. It made way for an interesting, funny story and allowed things to essentially unravel very quickly by way of, you know, lore decks, the typical, you know, frenetic narrative structure that works for this show. Because it's, everything starts off kind of slow scale and it just works into a frenzy. Yeah. It just gets nuts by the end. And that is a lot like the, the reverse hero's journey. Is that what it was that the showrunner for Rick and Morty does? He does a reverse of the a reverse of the, riding triangle the writing triangle. What it was. And it's, it's an interesting tactic. Not a lot of people utilize that. And it does work to create this odd sense of excitement that just pulls you in uh, all the way until the, those last waning seconds of the episode. Yeah. And I
0: think that that type of writing can only work in certain situations.
1: It's not going to work on a regular live not action Not on a regular series.
0: live action series. Yeah. You can't do that. Yeah. And also the fact that it is a comedy series. Putting, it, putting that type of writing in a comedy series works because it turns the writing into like this quirkiness. You accept the quirkiness more because it's a comedy. And if he were to, if you were to take that writing and say, put it to discovery, it, I I think it would bomb like yeah. <laughs> people would like be trying to burn down discovery at that point. But for like this, the way Mike McMahon approaches lower decks, it's, it's very refreshing because and it's very acceptable because we go in already knowing we can't take this seriously. He forces us to have fun with it. And not, while we can have a critical eye about it, we still have this idea that they say, okay, don't take it too seriously. It, it's a comedy show. It's an animation. And
1: that all helps the writing along. Yeah. The showrunner of Rick and Morty, Dan Harmon, the original showrunner, he calls it the. The remix of the hero's journey. The
0: remix of yeah, I've heard about that in some. It is interesting.
1: I, I need to set some time aside to study his his actual strategy and what this fully means because it is an interesting literary tool and it works obviously, it works great for Rick and Morty and it works pretty damn well in lower decks in lower as well. Dex. So maybe we can pull some info on that so that we're more knowledgeable on it and exactly how it works, and we can talk about it in an upcoming Episode discussion. Absolutely. Now, also, Dave, this episode does follow the typical Mike McMahon conceptual playbook where story A in lower decks is actually more like story B in a traditional Trek episode, and the traditional story A <laughs> was story B, B. And that hasn't been as apparent this season than in this episode. And the way Captain Freeman was completely unaware of anything that was going on in the planet. I mean, her crew is essentially almost getting killed off in this planet, you know, enslaved <laughs> by Ferengi, uh, threatened by Magado. And yet she's off trying to figure out why this shuttle got destroyed and then giving away all of her own relics in order to appease a potential fraud. Yes, I fucking love it. I love that they do that because that's always been an interesting concept for me when it comes to lower decks to begin with the idea that the story's gonna focus around the people that you don't really see the person that walks behind story a, and they're doing the little things that the people from story A told them to do, but we never actually see how they do it. So to see story B take the, the place plays a story A in such a way, I think it works really well, especially in an episode like this, because it allows this craziness to unravel in a very satisfying manner and allows the lunacy to actually take hold of the audience.
0: Yeah. I mean like the, the, ever since we started lower decks before, even like the, the, the beginnings of season one, Mike McMahon has gone out and said that he wanted to do a show that focused on red shirts. He wanted to do a focus on the guys that basically no one never talks about, you know, the engineers that basically are in the bowels of the enterprise, you know, well, it's it's just,
1: it's, it was taken from that TNG episode that is called lower decks. And it's about these rando characters that I want to say at least 50% of the cast of that episode. We've never even seen before. And yet they all had this rapport with the bridge crew. They talked about Riker and being afraid of them. They talked about this character, you know, Worf and all of our main characters. And we're watching the episode thinking, we've never seen you. So it was, a, it was an interesting perspective switch. And that's why I've always been enamored by this concept.
0: It might be fun to actually go back and review that
1: episode. I've recently watched it. It's actually pretty good. It's pretty good. Yeah. I mean, from what I
0: remember and everything, I mean, I thought it, I remember at the time as a fan and as a kid, I was confused why they did it. When I was a kid, I didn't like it. I didn't like it because it was like, okay, why do I care? Why are we doing this episode about these schmoes? Yeah, I want to <laughs> see my Picard. I want to see, see my Picard or Riker. Yeah. But now that we... Now, in hindsight, when you look back retrospectively, you kind of see that even in TNG's era, they were trying to do experiments in in storytelling. And while at the moment... Stuff like that can can hurt your series. In retrospect, like, taken years later, those are the steps that need to be taken in order for, like, shows like this show, like Lower Decks, to happen. Because if that episode never uh, gets, gets made, right? Mm-hmm. And there's no writer that's willing to actually do a story that centers on not your central characters, but, like, D-list characters brand new characters and your audience is not going to uh, care about. How does that concept ever blossom into Mike McMahon's creation of lore Dex?
1: Yeah. Definitely interesting. The thing that I liked most about this episode, and I know you picked up on this was how Boimler and Rutherford came up with a nerdy solution to the problem. <laughs> yes. And I'll get to my main point in a second. Yes. Uh, creating a PowerPoint style presentation. And convincing the Ferengi idea. that it would be more profi- profitable. Profitable to turn the planet into a, a, a preserve over the selling of Magato Tusk. Yes. I love that. It was fun. It was very classic Star Trek. And it is. By the way, the way they set this up. Beginning of the of the the episode with the scene where Boimler and Rutherford were playing a game, where the goal was to resolve the issue through diplomacy. They were making fun of us, right? The Star Trek CCG players and board game fans. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, you you because those cards they had and the tokens. I'm like, this is the Star Trek CCG game, and I'm okay with that because one, I love those Star Trek games. I do too. They're fucking fun. And two, I hope to Christ, they <laughs> sell that diplomacy game they were playing because I'll buy it. Oh, I'll buy it in an instant. Do not drop the ball on proper marketing, Lower deck Star Trek. Let your inner Ferengi come out. <laughs> I want to play that and give us an iPad app or a smartphone or smart device app that we can use just like they did in the game. How that would awesome be would that be? That'd be fun.
0: And yeah. the only thing I'd be worried about is then you take it too far and the fr- true Ferengi comes out and you suddenly have microtransactions everywhere. Uh, but, oh, <laughs> listen, that's
1: exactly what they would do. David, you know, that's what they would do. Yes. Yeah, well, thank you for ruining that. for me. <laughs> but I would for real play the hell out of that game. I yeah, was actually still. super curious. Like you better make this because you know, Dave, they are marketing things so far. For example, the the Tom Paris commemorative plate. You can actually pre-order it, and it will be on sale in the next couple of months. <laughs> yes, and I'm going to buy it. It's, I believe it's $75. So if they're willing to market things already, for th- from this show, they better do the same with this game.
0: Oh, dude, it was it was hilarious when they went through the power the PowerPoint thing, and you see all the merchandise that they were <laughs> playing with. I'm like going. <laughs> God damn it, I swear to God, if they come out with a Mogato stuffy, I could see that selling. Oh yeah.
1: <laughs> or we or, love we love to be raped, Star Trek fans. But exactly. Give me more Just things. give us more. Give me yeah, more then, things then,
0: that I don't need. The the best part by far was them explaining it and then watching the reaction of the Ferengi and basically coming to realize, oh yeah.
1: Listen, Dave, <laughs> I love the Ferengi and I, I love the Ferengi. I, listen, they annoy me and they're gross and grody. But I feel like they've always been... Now, D. Space 9 definitely utilized them in a very interesting way. way, Yes. And also, side note here, the fact that they were very just offensive characters, that's the reason why they veered away from them during the TNG era. It just didn't quite work and resonate with the fans because originally the Ferengi were supposed to be the new Klingon. That's what they were supposed to do with them at the very beginning and people just weren't having it. They didn't like them. And they ended up just kind of sidelining them. But what they did with them in D Space Nine, by having Quark at the center of this and his family at the center of progressive change, progressive to, change. to yes. the Ferengi culture, is amazing. And it, I believe, it gave them a little bit more life as characters since they were sidelining them anyways. They were sidelining them anyways because a lot of people couldn't get on board with the concept. But the way they changed that concept. Through the course of Deep Space Nine worked in a, I thought in a great way, and the fact that Lower Decks continues to use them in a meaningful way as well. This is the third time now they've had some Ferengi or a quark reference in Lower Decks, yeah. and I like that because I've always felt like they were a missed opportunity. They were supposed to be the pirates of Star Trek. That's what they were supposed to be, and we never you know, really went that route. So if we can keep getting them in, in these types of moments and lower decks, I will, I will be happy and grateful.
0: Oh yeah. Because it it really, it brings to light because unfortunately everyone thinks about the Ferengi as like a comedic race, just because of, you know, in deep space nine, that's what everyone thinks about. Mm -hmm. And when you think of the original concept, you realize that the Ferengi were supposed to be ruthless. Right, and they were supposed to be kind of like the space pirates, Mm -hmm. and they don't care. They have their own code of honor that they live by, and it was supposed to be really cool. But it was, but throwing in the, throwing in the idea that their entire culture is regulated by
1: capitalism, yeah, was it's hilarious, right? And that's the smart of D Space Nine. D Space Nine used it to make a social statement on our own. capitalism Capitalism in this country in the United States. And that's why it was a smart way to continue their story and also offer some slight variations that would make them work in a more long-term way for audiences. Because honestly, you can only take the fringing small dosages anyways. And if they remained the way, if they remained the, the, the way they were initially realized,
0: they would have worn out their welcome.
1: Yeah. No one wants to see people enslaving women and, uh, you know, and just being disgusting people—it's—it's it's, it's not a thing you want to see week I in still, and week out. I
0: still say my uh, the most twisted origin of the Frankie was when their origin in TNG when he, they say you let your women wear clothes.
1: Now that I can get behind. it's <laughs> like going wow, these guys are scummy. Oh, David, shut up! <laughs> <laughs> Imagine you know if we if Star Trek stuck to that <laughs> stuck to- seven and to nine all day, all day. Okay, so the doctors, this was an article that was put out. I don't have the name of the site at present. However, I pulled at this headline because I was thinking the exact same thing. This doctor we have is one of the most crankiest doctors we have been given in Star Trek. (laughs) The cat? But then I took a step back. I'm like, no, I don't think she is. We have a long line of cranky cranky doctors." doctors. And the list here... And let me know if I forget any. The most crankiest number one has to be, in my opinion, Robert Picardo's Doctor in Voyager. I think he's number one without a doubt. Wow, that's
0: tough because when I call the well, Doctor go, the crankiest? Go, let's
1: go through the list. Okay. So okay. we have Dr. Pulaski that was on the second season of TNG. We have Lower Dex's Doctor, Dr. Tahana, Dr. Leonard McCoy. Julian Bashir. Beverly Crusher.
0: Crusher wasn't cranky, though.
1: No. Dr. Hugh Culpert in Discovery. He can get cranky. Culpert? Yeah. Dr. Flox, which I don't think was ever very cranky. I don't know, dude. was He was never cranky. He had an odd bedside manner because he uh, he was an alien. I think that was the entire point. He he was was, sarcastic all the time. He was. Yeah, you're right. I mean, sarcasm. He was a bit of a fish out of water. And that was his whole gimmick. But I don't know if I would consider him Frankie. He was just an odd duck. So out of that list, they uh, on this list, they put the EMH Rios from Picard. I'm not counting that. No, I don't count that guy. Yeah. I mean, he was cool, but he was in like an episode. One episode and that was it. And he still, you know, failed to tell Picard that this woman murdered somebody in cold blood. Yeah. Like, how the hell did you not?
0: <laughs> how the hell you not figure that out? Colbert, though, Doctor Colbert is—he can be a bit moody. He can,
1: <laughs> but he also seems a little more reasonable. Yes, uh, Pulaski was. Pulaski was—I well, hated was her back when I watched the show, but I watch her now, and I'm like, oh God, bless your cranky <laughs> your take cr- charge attitude. Like I've obviously changed over yes. the time, over time, and I love women that take charge and tell well, that you character- what how it is and how it's going to be. So I like her quite a bit. And I never, I never thought she was cranky. In those opening episodes, she was a little standoffish. Yes. But I don't know if I would consider her truly cranky. So let's whittle down this list. Can we agree that Dr. McCoy was cranky? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Can we agree that Dr. Bashir is not cranky?
0: Yeah, Bashir's not cranky. He's just... What's He's the just best way to put it? Next up? Yeah, he's frustrated.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's sexually repressed. Can we agree that Beverly Crusher is not cranky? Yeah, absolutely. She's not. I wouldn't consider her cranky at all. Okay, so that leaves us with the EMH doctor from Voyager. Yeah. Dr. Tahana. Yeah, and Dr. McCoy. I think those three are the true cranky, cranky doctors. doctors.
0: Yeah, you can make, uh, those are the those are the true ones. I mean, I, I actually pulled up the list that you were talking about.
1: Mm-hmm. So out of those three, Dave, Who is the number one crankiest doctor in Star Trek? In your opinion.
0: I'm still gonna, I don't know if it's the fanboy in me, but by far, Dr. McCoy is the crankiest person on the planet. I mean, he hates
1: space travel, even though he travels in space. Yeah, that is (laughs) true. And then it's hard to say, though, because wasn't a lot of his crankiness, (laughs) though, directed at
0: Bach? Oh, no, dude. It was directed at everything. He hated everything because remember he he constantly he didn't want to go on the transporter because, like he was afraid of transporters I know
1: and then but where did that come from? as well, because that was not a thing in the original series yeah but. and
0: and then like even when he's in the even when he's in the space shuttle, he's complaining how hard
1: it is yeah, that's true man that's hard. it's hard it's definitely hard. I think it's up in the air, dude, between. We need more. Doctor Tahan is off the list because we need more time with her before we can definitively say she's she's one a of the contender. best cranky, but she is cranky. Oh, no, without Tahan a doubt, is cranky without a doubt, and she's great. I love her, but I think as of now, the two choices are Doctor McCoy and the EMH Doctor. And th- I'm I'm going to disagree th- with you. I'm going to go with the EMH. The EMH? He was so cranky that he was a borderline a D-bag many times. <laughs> a D- There's many times, like, no one wanted to punch McCoy. McCoy was, almost, was charming. Even though he was cranky, the, he was charming. You liked him. It was almost endearing. Doctor, the EMH, the E-MH doctor, Robert Ricardo was it, just a douche. <laughs> like, I love him, and he is by far one of my favorite characters in all of Star Trek, but at the beginning, you remember everyone wanted to punch him? Oh yeah, yeah. Because his
0: bedside manner was like terrible. Yeah. Because like I, I always remember whenever the doctor would show up, he, his scenes would start with him saying something really bad about someone's health.
1: Yeah. And just being like really sarcastic. <laughs> oh, you about. might die. Oh, you <laughs> might die. Uh, <laughs> but thanks to my, you know, wonderful, you know, expertise, you will not. So he would, he would make them afraid that they're gonna die. But then he says, but thankfully to me. You won't. In lesser hands, you could easily die. He was a D bag. <laughs> he was a D bag. <laughs> All right. So the Megado, it was first seen, and I believe it was only seen once. Oh yeah, in the uh, TOS. TOS, the episode titled "A Private Little War." And speaking of terrible costumes, <laughs> this was just as bad as the Gorn costume. Oh, screw
0: you! This was awesome. This I love that costume. <laughs> a giant white ape, like a white ape with a horn. Uh, that's not very cool. Not very cool.
1: <laughs> okay, so let's get to our final thoughts. RMD score, Dave. Go ahead. Why don't you start us off? Uh
0: my RMD score with this one is a 92. I, I really like this episode. I mean, it-, it taps into, as I said earlier, a different type of humor. It's more dark. I, I want to say dark and witty humor that I expected from like a Rick and Morty episode. Yeah. And Coming off of the last episode, this actually was a, a nice you know comeback because you're seeing the team coming together. And that's why I also appreciate, too, while the jokes were really well written, Mike McMahon still continues and basically says, I am going to continue my story and bring this team together.
1: Yeah, with, all while keeping Mariner in the center because she is arguably the lead.
0: And and especially in this season, dude, he has he has made not only the four main characters, you know, Mariner, Boimler, Rutherford, and Tendy important, but now he's making the bridge crew important. Because while their story is just like what you said, an A the A story that we don't necessarily see because our main focus is the B story. The characterizations that he's done for the crew seems like we know this entire crew
1: now. Yeah. You know, I, I think we officially definitely could say that. Yeah,
0: we officially know the entire crew. Captain Freeman is,
1: I would say, officially a official captain in Star Trek. I think my, my favorite side character is definitely Shax. Oh, absolutely. Shaxx is freaking awesome, dude. I love Shaq. He was on point this episode. <laughs> he was
0: and and his play with Rutherford just bounced from the last episode to this episode and I loved it every single time when Shaq's was there and you know you could tell that Rutherford is is friends with Shaq's but Shaq's is still someone you probably don't want to be friends with. <laughs> <laughs> because he'll probably beat the living crap out of you. And that's what I appreciate. I, I I liked I liked it when remar- when they brought in the the oh god, what was the fighting armor? It was like judo. Yeah. It was Star Trek's version of judo. The Anbo. The An- Anbo. Yeah. Anbo. And when they brought that in, oh, dude, that was so funny that basically Shax comes in after seeing, you know, Boimler and Rutherford get beaten up by Mariner. And he goes, ah, I'm a little early. <laughs> and it's funny. All the jokes for me landed in this episode. So that's why I gave it a pretty decent score for a
1: 92. Okay. 92%. I'm going to give this episode an 83%. I definitely like the episode, not as much as you. I didn't think it was bad. There's nothing negative, but. Was it the Magado uh, mating that scared you off? My cut hold scenes a bit <laughs> much. Cut no, I was okay with that. I thought that was fucking hilarious. <laughs> no, I'm, I don't get offended by stuff like that. I'm not quite sure. I'd have to watch the episode again, but. There was something that didn't quite work for me. There were elements that I absolutely loved. I liked the continuation of Mariner's character development. She, I, I hope they do this all season. Even if she's a minor player in the episode, make it revolve around her. That's yeah. what they did in this episode, essentially. She's the lead. Let's not forget that. Let's continue to build on that character. Also, let's worry about our side characters as well. And they're doing just that. So I don't think there's any problems in the way of writing. I feel like the writing was just fine. I feel like it's just the, the content of the episode in itself. I didn't find myself all too overly excited or interested in what was happening. It wasn't bad. There were some moments of, you know, Star Trek levity and references that worked. But overall, it, it was an 83%. So, is that fair, Dave? I think it's fair. I think it's Usually fair. you and I are pretty much synced.
0: I think in this one, just like what I uh, uh, mentioned in the very beginning, the the humor in this was far different than any of the other episodes. And it's for me, the humor has to, you have to connect with that humor. That just means that basically I'm a I'm a sick and twisted person
1: yeah. inside. And maybe maybe that's what it was. Maybe that something did feel different. And maybe there's just conflicting tones for me. I, I don't know. I don't know what it is, but I'd have to watch again. Maybe I can come back next week. During the episode five discussion, and, and actually
0: think about yeah. The score.
1: Maybe after I reevaluate the episode, I can put better words to it. But uh, as of now, it's an eighty three percent. This does bring us to the end of our discussion. I would like to remind the listeners out there to please give us a five star rating on iTunes. We do need that. We are making some big cutbacks as a network starting in twenty twenty and I don't want any of those cutbacks to affect this show and one way to guarantee that we don't cut back is by either A subscribing to our Patreon page and and pledging five bucks a month which you will gain access to hundreds of hours of additional Star Trek discussions as well as ongoing discussions every month um, or you can give us a five star rating that will help us or both if you really want to be giving and charitable Our Patreon page is, of course, patreon.com slash rainmandigital. And on iTunes, just search from the holodeck. This does bring us to the end of our discussion. Thank you, David. Thank you. Live
0: long and prosper.
1: I couldn't help but notice your pain. My pain? It runs deep. Share
0: it with me. End simulation.